0: Hi, I'm Brynn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing. Studies Change is dedicated to business analysis and leadership and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. to dive in on brand with day-to-day practitioner, advisor, and creator of brand value, Vita Bates. And we get right into it. This episode is chock full of concrete examples paired with the analysis behind what each company is doing with their brand development that is or isn't adding value. As we start, Vita is recounting a conversation she and Gavin Ivester had about a very specific product And we start there because it's a helpful example of how product design and brand character, which Vita will teach us about, can come together for powerful effect. Let's jump in.
1: Well, Gavin followed up because I had mentioned Casper on the call. I'd mentioned, you know, how they had this, just this little detail, right? about the mattress breathing a sigh of relief, which humanized a commodity in a like a very powerful way, right? And, and he followed it up on LinkedIn and was sort of like, you know, I, I like what you raised about the Casper thing, but he's like, but I never really saw like that. Like to me, that's like a, an afterthought of the brand, um, the, the, what was really like part of the brand. And he went into kind of a product assessment Um, which I thought was interesting where he was like, well, they really figured like we could roll a mattress and put it in a box. Right. And like, I was at Ikea yesterday and I was like, Ikea has been rolling mattresses forever. So yes, they weren't shipping it maybe direct in the same sort like, yes, there's a, there's a supply chain and a, and a sort of product design of like differentiation happening with Casper for sure. Now that there are dozens, right, though, of mattresses in a box, and you see that they each are taking slightly different positionings, like most organic material, most sustainable ingredients, right? Like they're each trying to like wedge themselves into a slight differentiation. And then you look at Casper, and you're like, that it's not an afterthought, right? It's it's pre-work, like it's pre-game to have done what they did with the brand. And that is what Red Antler who I like advocate for even though I have never worked with but I really subscribe to their view of what the value of brand can be when they spent a year designing that brand. Like it to me, it is absolutely not an afterthought. It is a beautiful synergy of product design meeting brand narrative, almost, right? meeting it's almost, character.
2: It's almost interwoven. And can you remind yeah. me if you would the card on the breathability and of, of the, can you remind me of that? Because I thought yeah. that was so helpful of, of, of bringing to life, no pun intended here, but bringing to life Gavin's point of the product and the brand
1: or your communication, you
2: yeah. know, the, they're not separate things.
1: Yeah. They're not separate things. Okay. There's a moment when you receive your Casper where you're, of in awe that there's a box and you're like how could my whole bed be in that box sure that sort of happens and then there's an unboxing moment where you're like wow it really is a mattress and you know and then you get to this little like instructional packet at least this was when i bought my casper which is now a number of years ago the original i haven't seen their product experience in the last let's say three to five years so y- you receive this little um slicer it looks like an envelope opener it's nothing too fancy it's like a little plastic slicer but it comes with a card and it says the steps to take it. it's like you know insert your you know your your slicer into the plastic where the the end of the mattress meets there's like a little crevice and slide it and and listen as your mattress breathes a sigh of relief and then wow. in like parentheses it's like you know and and what's amazing is like so then you like follow these instructions if you're an instruction reader and and you, you hear then that sound that would be there regardless of that prompt, that sound would have existed, but you would not have necessarily leapt to that being like a breath for that like stuffed mattress that's been like, uh, like contracted in this plastic, this whole journey to your home. And it's like, oh, you're setting it free. And it's like in a whole other positioning also of the fact that you have to like let it sit for an hour to like fill itself full of the air and cloudness of like before you lay on it. Right. And so suddenly, at least for me, like I suddenly had this like sense of um, compassion for my mattress, a sense of a feeling that it was doing me a service and I, I needed to be kind to it in order for it to be kind to me right? There's, there's an entire humanization of this completely inanimate object that does have actually a very intimate relationship in most of our lives with our daily, with our bodies and with our families and our partners and all of the above, right? So yes, it's a tiny thing and maybe a huge percentage of people didn't even read it, but the, the brand is does that in an m- even broader way, it humanizes this commodity in a way that Serta and Sleep Center and all, I mean, all these other things were just like best price, best, you know, maybe best springs, right? Like some sort of like best quality ingredient. But that was as far as it had come and not considered the entire human experience of interacting with this object and what the need states were around that. And that's what Casper unlocked, I think, before anyone else for sure, and still does better than any of those other competitor
0: mattress brands. So let's go a little deeper. I'm hearing you say, and let's stay with this. I'm hearing you say there was a character or you said humanization. So there's a character Mm -hmm. developed almost. And then also that there was an ability to get really deep into a number of the end users' senses. And when you when you were describing that slicing open um, the mattress so that it could exhale and breathe, another um, kind of visceral uh, brand moment came up for me when um, the pop top on a soda can, and hmm. I think was it Coke that will just do that in its commercials and then have someone go, yeah, ah. right, right to your senses, you know, okay. deep, deep, deep into your senses.
2: I was gonna, two things stood up, Bryn, when Vita was talking, do you notice she, I don't know if she ever used the word mattress. She said, my Casper, twice. So this thing, <laughs> she didn't say my mattress, yeah. she said my Casper. And it wasn't with uh, like some type of affectation or anything like that. It was like, it, it had become her Casper. I thought that was phenomenal. And when we think of the phrase brand and our working definition, we kind of reverse the tables. So often I think brands are this thing that a big company controls at brands. To me, it's the heuristic in my brain at the moment I'm experiencing or about to buy. It's what happens in my brain, which is almost necessarily gonna be absolutely loaded with emotion. And that's a good thing for humans, not a bad thing for humans. So at that moment of emotion, I'm thinking about that the, my Casper, my mattress, may need some time to itself to breathe and get adjusted to its new surroundings. And like, that taps into, <laughs> and this idea of the inseparability of the product from the emotion that it's generating in me, whether it's a certain wine or whether it's, and some things we just know that that's true, but so many things we operate as if, no, no, you buy those because it's more logically better, not because I feel part of the gang or I feel what have you. I love that inseparability.
1: I think too, in the conversation, you know, Christina Poza raised, you know, in, in her research, this sort of like this this thorough attention right? That the Gen Z is put on every decision, right? And there, and again, there are many ways to like, look at motive for for a reason for doing that, right? Um, Like some could just be that like, because of increased optionality, right? They're like, there's so many options now that you have to spend more time, right? Like there's this very funny meme circulating right now. That's like a guy blinding himself and throwing it at a dartboard. And it's like me picking my future career. And he's like throwing blindly at a dartboard. And then it says me picking out my uh, my like next jacket. And he's like in deep with like, you know, 16 uh. browser windows open, like <laughs> compare it, you know? And uh-huh. and it's just, it's like, it's just this like very relatable thing where you're just like because of just options and Amazon internet, like there's, there's this heightened need for the skill of like navigating choice, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's way different than just oh I got to go to this grocery store and there happened to be you know a hundred SKUs or something of mm. cereal to look at. Now it's like I need a jacket, <laughs> and it's like I have the internet, like you know, and it, it's just like a really different muscle that. So there's you know there's partly that like just like adaptation of like needing to make more choices and having a lot of more to choose from, but there also you know is, is this idea that we have potentially like a greater capacity to be in touch with like a a level of interaction that always existed between a mattress and us Mm -hmm. right they didn't invent the intimacy of a mattress they just acknowledged it for the first time right and made people go oh like objects aren't always just objects. They are serving me in like, like they're, they are offering me an experience in my life that I have some agency in. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not just agency from a functional perspective. It's of like my back hurts. I need X style of match, like addressing functional optimization. They're also in an era where like, partnership happens later, right? So that means you're sleeping theoretically more alone with your mattress than you might be with a partner, right? Like there there is also this sort of like these other cultural sort of trends and, and happenings that to me, it seems makes a lot of sense that there is more consciousness and more room for understanding and connecting with the emotional relationship that was always there or always possibly there between ourselves and our objects.
2: I was thinking, as you said, that we've been talking about hyper personalization for oh, probably a couple decades now, and it grows and it grows and mm-hmm. it grows. I think, along with that, the definition of a smart shopper has changed.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: Christina's point, as you raise, is I want to be able to explain my purchasing decisions to someone else, mm-hmm. but I don't have to conform to some standard, I don't have to be logical. I don't have to be that, um, in fact, I can tap into how I feel about my mattress and we really have to get on a different topic. Otherwise, I'm just gonna thank you and (laughs) Casper for the rest of my association with you. It'll be your nickname. (laughs) Um, Uh, The logic and the techniques and the technology and the, the that can be behind it, but it is okay, if not preferable to make your decisions based on being in touch with your emotions, whether you're picking a college, or picking a mattress, I suppose, or, or art. We've always known that about art. You go into a great artist and they'll say, either it resonates or it doesn't. And you're not going to buy this because it's better.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You're going to buy it because of the yeah. feeling.
0: Or our automobiles. We've been classically <laughs> very connected with our automobiles in past decades. Yeah. And I would argue that, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of it for
1: me is about uh, surfacing things that have been there. Right. So even if you weren't making the most researched or intentional choice in the past, the, when you chose your Ford, to your point about heuristics, Pip, like there are, there are factors socially, culturally in your family history. Like there are still ingredients in your composition that are connecting Ford with a value set. As choice increases, you be have to become more in touch. With where you're because you're like, oh, well now I have five, three to five brands who are touching pretty well on the like general heuristics. Now, how do I decide, mm-hmm. right? So the the lower, and this is another like Red Antler, like in Emily Hayward's book, Obsessed, like she, she talks about this in the introduction, which is, you know, a lot of where they've been working on brand in this vein since like 2007, but they're seeing because of the lower barrier to entry for companies to start because of direct to consumer, you can introduce, right? Like you have less time for product market fit before brand. That's their, that's what mm-hmm. their research shows. So because, and this goes back to also Gavin and where we align as well, which is like it, product market brand, like product brand fit, the sooner you're there, the better, because you can introduce, someone else can introduce a box mattress within weeks, of your box mattress if they needed to because of how supply chain and like private labeling and all because of all these forces of you know manufacturing that have been created so that need for brand to differentiate and it's you know and from the the outset to for it to exist to then build value on over time is like more and more important as they see in you know red antler's work and i and i see that in my work as well
2: do you think vita that the duration of whatever this brand or heuristic or whatever is indeed going to be shorter and therefore you're going to be working with your clients more dynamically and that that base connection is more important or how do you think about this a a world that has more messages coming at us than we could have ever fathomed how does that speak to duration jen salapak mentions that you know the duration of a brand it really picks up mathematically in like a decade or two decades mathematically.
0: Yeah, to show up on the balance sheet, it needs at least two decades. She was saying typically in the past, it takes a long time for it to have actual value that you could call an intangible asset. Um, Everything before that is just marketing spend.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not familiar exactly with her calculation. Um, I think that that sounds, it sounds sound and I trust Jen's uh, Jen's, it's actually, Jen's it's actually I'm my, curious.
2: It's my DCFing for the investment <laughs> point of view, her basic comment that right. if you have a value of something, a cash flow of a hundred dollars for five years, that's fine. If you have that hundred dollars growing for 70 years, all the values to the back. So hmm. a fly by night may get everyone's attention and may get people in the restaurant for a week or two weeks or three. But if you aren't really sustaining that into a business that's 10 years or 20 years, to Bryn's point, you're not really building a brand value. You're, you know, it's marketing expense and should be thought of as marketing expense. Nothing bad about that either. How do you think about this duration?
1: Well, I I think, so there there are a couple of factors I think in Duration and this is has goes back to also like allowing your product to be what it is so I don't believe brand is something that can like fix a non durable product, for example, like if you're not really serving a true market need. Um, and that market need is not either expected to grow or is already at a certain level of scale. Like there's no amount of brand that's gonna sort of like dramatically impact that market need, right? Like create that market need. The, and so the, I, the way, I think-
2: The way Grant said it is that um, the old madman days of creating a fake story about something that- Right. Yeah, that's not really the world we live in today. Is that, yeah. would you agree with that so, kind of sort of of what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. And it's why at least- in. In my work, I really lean much more towards definition of brand character and behavior and tone of voice. Those are priorities for me over narrative any day because narrative is like what you choose to put on your website as your mission or some such thing, right? And they exist and they do have some value as one touch point of communicating with your audience. But if you don't know who you are, who your brand is, and that is not the founder's personality, it is not the personality of the first five people, it's not the personality of the board of directors, right? Like it, it needs to be, we work with our clients, like a separate chair in the room. And, and there is a point, and this came up in the conversations that I agree with this, there's a point at which your brand, just like a child, like when you put your child in elementary school, you're now not the only input that's like affecting that character of that child. Like your those teachers are right, so that's like adding your first you know few employees right, like, and then all the classmates and okay, that's like your you know like, and then you start like okay now they're going on to after school program right, like there are all these different growth stages of a of a human character, where it doesn't belong exclusively to the parents. It just but doesn't. Those teammates, but here- the parent, correct. Oh. Right? Yeah. Well, those, the teenage years are real, really interesting to, like, we could unpack that metaphor for a whole other podcast, I'm sure, but or a whole other recording the, but I, I think it's a, it's important to know that even as the quote unquote, the owner of the brand. And that's where it came up in these sessions. Like, you know, it's a conversation between buyer and, and owner. It's also a conversation between employees and owner. You know, we've done a lot of work helping people translate brand character to HR branding. Like, what does that mean for how we hire? What, how is our pro- job description written? What are the kinds of characteristics that we know will get along with our brand character, right? Like really allowing it to be um, a, a persona and understanding, it, making it comfortable to even say like, well, here's what I would do as a CEO, but here's what the brand would do right? Like really differentiating between those choices, you know, like, and obviously that's always going to be a conversation, even among that internal guardian team, because, you know, that brand can't physically in that invisible chair, like see, like actually speak for itself, but it does begin to show itself quite clearly if well defined from a principled valued standpoint, values standpoint. So um. You know one example, a beautiful new brand that was uh, just launched their first product um in the sort of feminine care space, and they have a you know there's a a, a slight product innovation there um in terms of somehow you know Procter and Gamble and Unilever never saw this insight that like oh, you might want a pad and a liner in one pack like it's just incredible actually that that That's never incredible. happened, yeah. And I think it's a matter of days, honestly, before they just they just steal that, right? And so this is a beautiful example where Moons is a small shop, they're right out the gate, but they fully considered the value of brand. Right? They are they have they have weighed in and said, no, like the site needs to feel a way, the language is it needs to feel ownable like they are introducing an entire vocabulary around what the discussion of the female cycle is where you call it your moons which makes it more accessible for different age groups for boys for dads for all kinds of things right so there's a much richer and again like human like uh attempts to connect with like a different humanity around this functional physical cycle that occurs in the life of a woman and it's very powerfully executed. And to execute it, of course, visually consistent, very accessible, like very refined, beautiful design, you know, um, that's not too niche towards like one generation or another, but has a modern feel, right? So they really like lined up a lot of these things based on again, market, product, context. So they, they really made very intentional choices. And to me, when I saw that their product is unique for now, But I was like, the reason that that brand has value and if I were an investor and had cash to throw at them is I'm like, because they can pivot. They have a broad extension of direction. They have so much room now to play and stay consistent and not have it feel at all like they're shifting gears or like saving their ship or any of that. Like if they launch a different product, it's so easy now to put it into a world that they've created and it actually, to me, building a brand world as a startup, and that's really where my specialty is, as a small shop, building a brand world gives you the most potential for duration and longevity because then you are you can really move your product within it and it doesn't feel like you're saving the ship. It feels like you're expanding into a world that people already have given you permission to have. I worked, I just had one conversation with the founders recently, and they had mentioned they were sort of weighing like which tactics from a marketing perspective, which sort of like tactics they should take, like do experts still matter, like all these sort of choices. And these are very hard choices, especially for startups who have small teams and can get overextended very quickly. And this is where to me, the brand, Value, the brand, tone of voice, brand values, brand character are so critical as filters. So I, you know, I, I, I guide my clients like moons. I say, it, you can choose expert, Like your data will show you based on your audience whether they are willing to receive expert advice. Your brand, though, will tell you if we are going to involve experts. Here are some of the ways we are going to do that that honor the character of our brand. So it doesn't say no experts, you know, yes experts. It's not about a tactical uh, directive from the brand. It's about if we go with experts. We also believe, right, in con- like that, um, that the only way to make periods more accessible is through conversation, for example. Therefore, when we use that expert, we ask that expert to have a conversation with a mother or a conversation with a teenager. We do not have a podcast where the expert just tells everybody what to do. And that's how you use brand character to, against social media, interviews, podcasts, like all these different tactical marketing channels The brand character helps you define how you do that in a way that honors the persona of the brand. And there are many, many, many ways to do that. So
2: two things come to mind. First off, this idea of tone of voice. Mm -hmm. I had never thought about it in that way at all. And when you said, you know, hands down narrative, I'll give that up any day for tone of voice. And what we hear as investors and maybe other business people, is it's all about the narrative, it's identity, et cetera, et cetera. Hardly anyone in our world is thinking about tone of voice. And I was just thinking, Procter and Gamble can probably match the product, they can mimic the product. I think it would be so hard, I don't know, if for Procter and Gamble to fake the voice.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Vita. You know, when we started our conversations on assessing brand, we were perhaps more focused on uh, one dimension around sales and margins. What can a brand do to increase sales or visibility of sales or generate premium value? How long can that last and when is it really an asset? Now from this conversation, I know I have more tools to consider how brand is really the only vehicle for great product extensions, and it creates that space to pivot. So it's providing optionality. Next week, we continue on this with Vita. We ask her how, in this day and age, if you're assessing a company you know, with a great brand or maybe a really poor brand, what are the signals that a company's actually going to be able to take care of that brand, have principles around it, and have long-term success in creating value? Thanks for listening.